Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Honestly, one big headline of the year for me is that the movies are back. We've had a couple of low-key years in theaters, but movies are a spectacle again, and I love that. Today on the podcast, as 2023 is coming to an end, we're going to spend some time reflecting on the year in film. I'm Elamine Abdul Mahmoud. This is Commotion. I love the holidays. I do. I really do. But can I tell you a little secret? The reason I love the holidays, my favorite thing about the holidays, is that it's also the start of award season, which means that the movies that are out right now are incredible. I mean, this is the best of the bunch. Also, if you missed a bunch, you have a time to catch up on the big movies of the year. On today's podcast, we're going to do that. We're going to look back on the year in film. Yes, of course, the big movies that had everybody talking, but also the underrated movies that deserved a larger audience. And we might even get a little spicy, you know, start talking about the movies that disappointed us, the annoying trends, people already laughing in the studio, Rats Have and Play, Terry Hart, what's going on, y'all? How's hey, it going? Hey. I just felt like you called my name when you said spicy. Yeah. yeah. I was like, <laughs> oh, the curry's in. We're going to bring some spicy energy to the show. I'm excited to do this because what, what I love about the grouping of you two is that you guys rarely agree on a movie. <laughs> and that means it's going to be the best time of my life. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with Rad. We're start with you and your favorite film from 2023. Well, 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 our war hero has arrived. You made a good choice coming back here. Those days are the finest, wealthiest, and most beautiful people on God's earth. They outsmarted everybody. They have the say. Who gets the oil? Martin Scorsese, Killers of the Flower Moon. Rad, that is your choice of movie of the year. Look, this is a movie that generated a lot of controversy, a lot of discussion over, you know, who gets to tell the story of the Osage people in 1920s Oklahoma. What made it the movie of the year for you? I mean, I'm almost afraid to speak because of the cut I am getting from Terry right now. <laughs> sure, <laughs> of course. Like, uh, Go ahead. Listen, like this, there's no other movie I have mm. grappled with and thought about more this year. I mean, I, cumulatively, I must have written 10,000 words on this movie in, its, uh, in itself. And yeah. it's just, it's okay, like you said, like this is a movie about America's original sin, right? This is a movie that, like, you know, you, you take a crime story about these white settlers murdering indigenous people for their oil wealth. And it is like, you know, like the, the original sin. It's a perfect analogy to that. But then what's really fascinating about this movie, as you said, is, is perspectives, right? Who gets to tell mm-hmm. this story? And the perspective st- aspect of this movie begins with the shift from a white savior narrative to telling this story from the perspective of the guy who's doing the killing or mm-hmm. who's complicit in it. And it's positioning the audience within that complicity. But then what deepens the perspective argument is then when Martin Scorsese kind of acknowledges that there's no right way for him to tell this story and kind of, you know, uh, admits to his own culpability in, in a final stroke in the movie. And then what made it more fascinating is when you get away from the movie, 
listening to other people's perspectives, and right. especially most importantly, indigenous perspectives who mm-hmm. who've, t- who've 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 brought in different angles. And that to me, that didn't like you know that pointed out some of the flaws of the movie, but also more of the mm-hmm. strengths and like kind of engaged me deeper into the conversation, right? Because you mm-hmm. had indigenous people who didn't who felt like that the violence was too much, who felt like the who felt that. Um, uh, you know, the perspective was all wrong. It should have been from the Molly character. But yeah. then you also had indigenous critics like Adam Perone uh, uh, kind of pointing out how Martin Scorsese told it from the only perspective that he could have. Yeah. And he also grapples with the impossibility of telling the story the right way in that. And I just found that that the the flaws of the story, the messiness of it, so much more fascinating mm-hmm. than a movie that's more perfect. And a, 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 a movie I would contrast this with. We actually this came up when you know the Toronto Film Critics Association. We give movies awards, and this week we awarded Best Picture to The Zone of Interest, which yeah. just is opening, starting mm-hmm. its rollout today. It's about uh, the Nazi genocide. It's about the family overseeing. It's an Auschwitz. unusual Holocaust movie. It's very Zone unusual. It's yeah. beautiful really powerful now the thing about zone of interest is that's a perfectly made movie it's airtight it's the kind of movie that you know it it grapples with how we are complicit with genocide which is very obviously relevant today and in a way there's a lot of overlaps in terms of what it's about with killers of the flower moon but I prefer the messiness. The morality is clear in Zone of Interest. The morality, it's a yeah. bit what it's doing. Yeah. But K- Killers of the Flower Moon is more rambling, more searching. And, and because of that, I keep returning to it. I'm more endeared to its flaws. I just want to describe to the audience that as you're talking about Killers of the Fly- <laughs> Flower Moon, I'm like Terry Hart is in the studio. Her hands are all over the place. She's like, let me in. She just let me in to talk about this movie. You didn't like it very much. Tell me tell me I what didn't. your deal is with it. This was almost my most disappointing film of the year. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, right now there is currently um, an Uber driver in New York City who's still talking about the woman in the back seat who went <laughs> off about Killers of the Flower Moon. On me! On, <laughs> on me! Um, so, so that actually happened in real life. Yeah. I mean, my biggest problem is the perspective. My biggest mm. problem is the messiness. My biggest problem mm. is the fact that we do not spend any time in the joy of the Osage people. Mm. We do not spend any time feeling good and warm and understanding the incredible success of this community and Mm. how that was a revelation so that when the monster comes into the story, because this is a monster movie, we have all of this feeling and all of this care. And yes, Scorsese is grappling with it. And yes, Scorsese comes in and says, I don't know how to make this movie. So just because you can, because you're Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro are going to be in your movie, doesn't mean you should. Mm -hmm. And I really hmm. lean into the panel that you had on this show sure. with indigenous film critics talking about it and how they felt and how they and I mean this is their story their perspective on how they feel matters most but that's how I also felt watching but it. One of, the, one of the takeaways from that panel that we did though was that like Scorsese is probably not the director to tell the joy of the Osage people mm-hmm. movie like someone else should do that. So why yeah. is I'm he not the sure director that... to tell the misery? Why then why then is this the movie that we are left with about the Osage people and we are again removed of the joy of this community? If he can tell the torture, if he can tell 
compel the systemic uh, genocide mm. towards this community, mm. then why can't he tell the joy? Why can't we have a moment in that movie of why it is so important of mm. what that and, and unique to who the Osage people were in 1920? I think this is the interesting thing because it's like Scorsese, like he said, is not the one to grapple with the joy. That's not his story to tell. I mean, yeah. I think we have a show like Reservation Dogs that does that beautifully. And sure. I would love to have more movies just like that. But those movies shouldn't shouldn't necessarily invalidate what Scorsese is doing, which is confronting us with our own complicity. And that's the story that Scorsese chose to tell. And that's the story that's so rarely told. Like when you have white settler filmmakers often taking on these stories, they often look for a way to pat themselves on the back. They often look for a way to make it a sympathetic story. And in fact, in fairness, Scorsese does does not rubs our face in our own muck. That's it, it is to me. It's a movie about white complicity. Whether that works for you or not, I kind of I guess, depends on your perspective. I think that's totally fair. But also, there are, believe it or not, other movies that came out this year that we also <laughs> yes. got to talk about. Yes, uh, Terry, we got to talk about your favorite movie mm-hmm. of the year. What, what, what's your pick? Past lives. Ooh, Celine songs. Past lives. Yeah, it's. Tell me more. It's. <laughs> Rad is waving his you arms wildly now. This is great. You I, I just step, like wave you my step back. <laughs> yeah. um, it's the most human story. It is the most thoughtful story. It is the most um, emotionally resonant story. It mm-hmm. really is about childhood sweethearts and Nora and Hang Si. I hope I'm saying it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nora's family immigrates to Canada. She then ends up in New York. The two of them find each other 12 years later on social media. I think all the romance and the nostalgia of those Skype days is mm-hmm. is pretty wonderful in the movie. Um, they stop that relationship and they find each other again 12 years later. And it really is about culture and what we what we keep and what we leave when families immigrate it is about the choices we make it is about destiny it is about enyun which is a, a korean belief in mm. in love and destiny mm. and i've watched it twice i rewatched it again yesterday just to make sure and i was right it's the best movie of the year that, um, <laughs> that, hold on that, yeah. that i gotta say that last scene of <gasps> past lives is genuinely devastating also just shout out celine song celine who song. uh we went to queen's university together oh, no! <laughs> we didn't know each other well or anything i'm not saying we were like me and celine song we go way back but uh but we went to queen's university at the same time she was a philosophy grad then she moved to New York. She became a playwright. This is her first movie. This feels but also, very, very The personal. idea that this is her first movie is stunning to me because, you know, she's. I think she's kind of arrived fully baked as a filmmaker. Yeah. Mm. Rad, do you have different thoughts about I this? I feel like it does feel at times like a student filmmaker's first attempt at, at narrative storytelling. But, I mean, again, I liked it. I was really moved, like you said, with the final note of it. But I also think its greatest strength is its biggest flaw. The greatest strength being you're looking at relationship mess in the nicest, most tenderest terms possible where everyone is being as productive and constructive as possible yeah. and I feel like that's wish fulfillment and I didn't really buy it also Greta Lee having a moment between this and her performance in the morning show and yes. I am all for her and all for watching anything and everything she does past lives go see it Greta's Oscar campaign begins right here right now okay we're also going to take a moment to talk about some of the great cinema being made right here in this country Terry your favorite Canadian film of the year was this one a story told in English and Urdu <laughs> It's an MFA, mom. It's an acronym. Nobody says it like a word. I'm not nobody. 
Tell me about Queen of My Dreams. Queen of My Queen of My Dreams directorial debut by Fazia Mirza. It stars. Uh, help me out here, Rod, because I know she's Amrit a friend Carr. of your Amrit Car. Amrit Car. Amrit Car. Amrit Car. Um, in a spectacular performance, it takes place in 1999 Toronto and then 1969 Pakistan. She plays both versions of current day or 1999 her and her younger mother. So um, Fazia has used a lot of Bollywood techniques to help mm. tell this story, which is also ultimately a mother-daughter there's dancing there's singing there's revelations there's identity politics there's and but ultimately it is about and lots of issues about immigration as well it is this mother-daughter story and discover the daughter discovering how the mother became who she was mm. who she is it also has Hamza Hawk in it and I, I don't correct me is there a more charming actor right now than Hamza Hawk? I mean, he can do anything. He's so charming. He's so lovely. I want him to transplant my kidney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that escalated yeah. real quick. I love oh, that. He's, yeah. Anyway, um, I, I, so I love Queen. And big shout out also to Blackberry. Blackberry is getting a lot of love, and sure. it's a great, great movie. I just thought that, you know, what Fozzie has done here is really exciting as a first-time filmmaker, and I can't wait to see what she does next. And yeah. that thrills me coming yeah. out of this country. I just want to contextualize also what, what a lovely moment it is with Queen of My Dreams, because this is like, feels like the, uh, uh, there's like a Pakistani-Canadian new wave mm. rising. So mm -hmm. you look at Fozzie as Queen of My Dreams. Also, Zarar Khan's In Flames, which is uh, another lovely Canadian movie that was actually selected as Pakistan submission to the Academy Awards. Amazing. And then, of course, Iman Vellani, who yes. is this Marvel. So, yeah. like, there is this Pakistani-Canadian rising that I'm all here for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rad, what about you? What's your favorite Canadian film? My favorite Canadian film, actually, Terry Hart was the first one to say, Rad, you got to see this movie, is <laughs> Until Branches Bend by yeah. Sophie Jarvis. This yeah. is a, a movie that takes place in the Okanagan. It's, it's, a, kind of, it's a kind of a post-Me Too movie where it's about a woman who is pregnant because uh, impregnated by her employer and she discovers a rotten peach and this uh, and all of a sudden her entire environment is mm. kind of consumed by toxic energy and you know first of all Sophie Jarvis just incredible first time feature filmmaker really makes this really atmospheric thrilling movie that absolutely stood out for me but it's also part of like kind of a wave of movies this year I think I think there was been a trend not just post me Too movies in the sense where you had like movies that were directly discussing sexual assault and justice and reconciliation the way we had like promising young women or women talking, but yeah. but movies about women just tax like uh, tackling toxic environments or navigating mm. toxic environments, right? Where where it feels like misogyny is just in the air. Zarar Khan's In Flames is one of those movies. The Royal Hotel about two women working in a bar in Australia. Fair Play about a woman in Wall Street. There was just a trend of movies where the women were just navigating these hostile toxic spaces that seemed to be the dominant trend this year. And until Branches Bend felt like the best of them. So mm -hmm. so we are now going to move to a slightly different vibe. Vibe, slightly different vibe in terms of this conversation. We're going to start talking about some of the movies that uh, maybe let us down a little bit. And Rad, you picked a movie that five months after its release is still dominating the social media trends. A very special, <laughs> brand new oh. Christmas version of <laughs> I'm Just Ken. 
Ryan Gosling, backed by Mark Ronson. The original, of course, appeared in Barbie. Barbie goes on to make a billion and a half Woo-woo. dollars. Yes, it does. That is, it's beloved by everybody except for the man sitting across from me. <laughs> Brad, what's your deal, man? Why I'm don't you just like Ken. Yeah, yeah. Just you can sing it, but also, what's like, your deal with Barbie? I mean, look, like I just expected so much more. And by the way, Barbie so is much more. so much more because it's it's. It, I had high expectations for Greta Gerwig. Is I think a lot of people went yeah, into this movie. On yes. that, anyway, no, yes. okay. no. Well, I think like first of all, like a lot of people went into this movie probably expecting the worst because it's a Barbie movie, and I had high expectations because it's a Greta Gerwig movie, which is uh, just yeah. a, a sign of how much faith I had in her. But I also yeah. think the movie struggled. Like I think you know what I think the movie you struggled. I do. I think I you struggled. struggled. I, struggled is, with... I sat beside you watching this there, movie. Yes. We but... sat in the very front row, <laughs> and afterwards I was like levitating. She really was. I was so what, happy. Let, and let him fi- let him finish about why the movie came struggled. In with a pink we'll shirt to just to show you how much I was really ready for the movie. That's not a lot, man. I own a lot of. Pictures. You I don't know. get a point for that. But what was your problem with the movie? Though? Well, but I just felt like the movie struggled with uh, balancing the conversation it wanted to have about, you know, the about the self-image issues Barbie has created and kind of conquering that and trying to empower females. It, it felt like there was a burden on this movie's shoulders hmm. to get its message right. And also then have fun. I felt like it was always like it was either having fun or it was having that conversation in a way where it was telling you what to think or telling or giving you like go speeches like that. America for a monologue everyone keeps celebrating where she tells you about all the problems that women deal with. Like that was a watered down version of the cool the mo- cool girl monologue from Gone Girl. Dude, okay, like, like, like the I movie mean, had people no gave speech. a standing ovation I, to America I, for a speech. I mean, the people gave a standing ovation to Avengers Endgame. Is that any? <laughs> I like him. Like you know what I'm saying that's just like wow. But uh, I, can I also say? So, like, but Barbie, I am also, I'm happy for Barbie. Yeah. I'm happy, and when, nice in, of in the conversation <laughs> of like animus. in the conversation of movies this year about women now navigating toxic spaces, <laughs> Barbie is absolutely the kind of queen of that moment. Yeah, because it is once again about her entering our red pilled Ken state. Yeah, but like it just it fell below my expectations. I needed more legally blonde energy, man. Okay, I I can't even. I, we literally don't have enough time to get into that because like <laughs> that you just said a whole lot there. I, we, Terry, we got to talk about your biggest oh. disappointment, which is a fun you know pairing between Joaquin Phoenix, who never really fails to fun. me. Fun is the right word. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's Ridley not. Scott. Uh, this should be on paper a great time. Yeah, what it's made not. what made Napoleon so bad for you? It's bad. Okay. I mean, it felt like Ridley Scott and Joaquin Phoenix were making different movies. <laughs> I don't know where they were coming up the middle, but they didn't ever meet in the middle. Yeah. It, you know, Joaquin Phoenix is an actor I think that we all beloved because he's unpredictable, right? We're mm-hmm. not never sure what you're going to walk in and sit down to when you walk into a Joaquin Phoenix movie. Yeah. What that means is he needs to be directed. He needs to be, and Ridley Scott did not direct Joaquin Phoenix. At one moment, he's like, you know, almost a clown playing Napoleon, and another moment he's super serious and in a battle scene, and that just kind of permeates the entire movie of this what am I watching. Also, I, I mean, the history is just wrong. Yeah, Ridley <laughs> does not care. He made it very clear yeah. that he does not care even a little bit about the history being wrong. And so, like, I don't think that's right to call it. Like, maybe they could, should have called it Napoleon-ish. If you, if you saw Napoleon as a comedy, I think you would have had a great time. <laughs> I <laughs> genuinely think so. Because the French Revolution is hilarious. Yeah. yeah, no, but I, th- I agree with everything. I think Eric, Terry's right about everything she said, and I still had a good time with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I still, I, and, and then, like, in terms of, like, because, like, you know, like, this is a movie where like kind of Napoleon's small dog syndrome is expressing itself in the bedroom, on the battlefield, in this, Except for in the this woman wild. Except still gets left for nothing.
coming, and you know, not to spoil anything here, Vanessa Kirby, I will say, is a bright light in it. She is a bright light in it. But like, they don't play up enough the small man syndrome that is, you know, pop culture reference to Napoleon. They don't. They don't wink to enough of those things. It is called the Napoleon syndrome. (laughs) Um, So yeah, big fail, big fail. Ridley Scott. I mean, and he's made some great, great movies. I think it's the year of disappointing, like uh, prestige filmmakers. Napoleon, bad. Yeah. Ferrari, Michael Mann, bad. Wow. Killers of the Flower Moon, Martin Scorsese, bad. I liked it. So, <laughs> there you go. Three like, movies. I like all three of those yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm journalist Sam Sanders. I'm poet Saeed Jones. And I'm producer Zach Stafford. And we are the hosts of a podcast called Vibe Check. On Vibe Check, we talk about everything news, culture, and entertainment, and how it all feels. That's right. We talk about any and everything on our show from real-life issues like grief to music and movie critiques, and that barely scratches the surface. Yes, indeed. And it doesn't stop there. We have got a lot to say. So join our group chat, Come to Life. Follow and listen to Vibe Check wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, folks who are just joining us, my name is Alameen Abdul Mahmoud, and this is Commotion, and we're talking about the best and the worst of the year in film with Terry Hart and Rad Salman Pillay. Rad, obviously, it's impossible to stay on top of everything that comes out in theaters or in streaming services, which means, honestly, like a lot of great stuff ends up being overlooked. What was the most underrated movie of the year for you? I mean, for me, uh, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, the Ooh. adaptation of the Judy Bloom novel. Like, I don't yeah. think, I think people took for granted that this is just another, you know, familiar property and it's a yeah. coming of age story. And we've seen a ton of those, those things done before, but it does it so well. And they totally missed that. Also, like, we're, you know, we're in the middle of award season. Rachel McAdams gives a supporting performance there as the mother yeah. and like dominant performance that should be nominated in every award show and yeah. is being missed all around. And it's so wild to me because this is, Again, make, the movie makes it look easy. The movie's very sweet. It's very emotional. In a year where you're celebrating Barbie for, you know, grappling with the self-image issues that he has, you know, put upon young women. Yeah. Here's a movie about a girl grappling with those self-image issues and yeah. you're totally ignoring it while you're prop- propagating up Barbie. Like, come on, y'all. Like, I, I okay, get on say, I also want to say, go, um, go I, again, weirdly, Rad and I watched Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret together as well. And we yes, agree. a lot of time this we year. Right? Anyway, continue. Yes, a lot continue. of time. Yeah. Um, but not only is it about a young girl grappling with all the things that she's that Margaret is dealing with, it also deals with three generations of women. Yeah. It deals with Kathy Bates as the grandmother, it, Rachel McAdams as mm-hmm. as Rad mentioned as the mom, and then Margaret herself. And all three of them are struggling with different aspects of being a woman at different times in their lives, mm. and it all hits. On every level. I cried in this movie in a way I didn't expect to. I totally agree with Rad that this is a movie that people I think thought was just fluff or just easy. Mm-hmm. And it's it's superpower mm. is the fact that it looks so easy because all the performances are excellent and it is an airtight script. It is so good. Watch Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And please, please, please awards gods. Give Rachel McAdams a nomination and mm-hmm. have Rachel and Ryan be on the red carpet or together. Or we roll. <laughs> oh, hey. A little notebook reunion. Although, are you guys agreeing on an I underrated... Mean, are you guys agreeing actually, period? Funny enough, we came out of the theater and we disagreed because I was like, I needed more movie. Yes. <laughs> that was that disagreement. Yeah. I was like, I want more. Yeah, <laughs> no, actually, we, you're totally right. Good yeah. memory. 
memory. We came out and Rod was absolutely like, I was like, oh my God, I love that so much. I had running mascara. I was a mess. And Rod was like, you know, I loved it so much. I wanted more. Like maybe they should have made a series out of it. That was, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Hey, quick question for both of Rod you. Rod is a softie. But, oh no, I know. It's just like not about the movies you expect someone to be a softie about. <laughs> That's the frustrating part is like he has a heart. He just shows it in the weirdest possible movies that one could show their heart in. Uh, this is not even for the, the podcast. It's just a curiosity that I have. Why is it that when we're working out issues in movies that have to do with womanhood, we get really thoughtful movies like Are You There, God? But when we have to like work out issues that have to do with masculinity, it's like the Iron Claw. Like, what is that? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> why are these the vehicles for exploring masculinity in film? Why is it always that and not something like Are You There, God? That's what I always want to know. Because you know? as a general rule, men are not good at emotions. Well, I, think, I sure and, would like us to be. You well, know what? I think that's what some of these movies are telling us. That I the know. men aren't good at emotion. Well, but, that's certainly what Ken is telling us in Barbie. Yes. Right? Yeah. But the way yeah. the world works and the generosity of women is that even in a movie like Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, men can work out their masculinity. Mm. I think yeah. that's bottom line. Preach. Terry Hart? What about you? You agreed with his underrated film. I did. What is your underrated film? You know, I didn't want to agree 100% with Rod. <laughs> sure, why would you want to do that? <laughs> never, brand. never do that. Off brand. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my underrated is A.V. Rockwell's 1001, Ooh. which mm. blew me away. I haven't seen um, it. Oh, God. Run, 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 run. Um, Tiana Taylor stars in it. It's a, about a, a woman who abducts, steals her son from the foster care system in mm-hmm. New York City, and it covers a few, gener- few like, 25 years of their life. Yeah. Um, shout out also to William Catlett, who plays Lucky, uh, the love interest in the movie, who is just spectacular. You can't take your eyes off all of these people. Mm. They are, it, it is completely lived in. The movie also deals with the gentrification of New York City, the struggles of these people, and this big lie that they're mm. living with. And you're kind of on tinderhooks the entire time wondering how and when this lie is going to reveal itself and what the implications will be. But you are so on side with Inez, the mother, Hmm. and Terry, her son, um, that you are, as an audience member, complicit in the lie. You want it to be okay for them. Hmm. And that is a real trick that A.V. Rockwell pulls off in 1001. It's incredibly touching. I really like multi-generational stories that never make you question the age of the characters. It's just really lived in. And that's all happening in 1001. And talk about another performance that is being totally snubbed in award season. She's incredible. I wasn't aware, but I guess she really made a big splash in a Kanye West video from years ago. And and that's where and to see her in this role, I I am fully two feet into whatever she is doing in the future and also A V Rockwell as well. Uh, real quick, we got to do a go around of like, okay, we get it. There are disappointing movies. There are annoying movies. We also got to talk about annoying movie trends mm. that made you go, you know what? Can this stop? So, real quick, can you just tell me what's the most annoying thing you noticed on screen this year, Rhett? I mean, like, I just feel like I've seen a lot of people screaming into pillows. Um, 
you know, like it's just a thing. Like I mean, and I feel like it's become this kind of shorthand for screenwriters. Like, oh, they're upset. Let's just write them screaming into pillows. You don't it, do that. I don't. That's the thing. Do people do this regularly? I, really? Every like, day I, of my I life. I saw Lilo and Stitch do it. Yeah. But and I feel like they're not since, real. After Lilo and Stitch, all of a sudden everyone's just like, this is a way to show that someone's dealing with their emotions. Like not everything. Like even Maestro. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. It's 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 too much. I, can I just recommend that you scream into a pillow? It's actually really therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I'm a big fan of doing that. So I love that you're annoyed by that, but also you gotta try it sometimes. See how it feels. Uh, Terry, what about you? Um, I I wish I had to come up with this term, but um, producer Stewart did. Yeah, selfie cinema. <laughs> um, you know, uh, celebrities producing their own documentaries. These are not documentaries, people. Yeah, these are you know prestige pieces about Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Pamela, Pamela Anderson, Pamela yeah. Anderson, and you know what that means is anything that might be a little bit of a sticky issue in their lives like Pamela's relationship with Putin sure Arnold's illegitimate children mm-hmm. um, never you know, made it in there did they well I mean they just gloss over it yeah. and so I, I had a good time watching the Arnold doc and the Pam doc I really did even the Beckham doc I had a really good time watching yeah. but these are not documentaries there is nothing in there that those celebrities don't want in right. there and so it's they're just promotional vehicles right you they're- can enjoy them but I'd really like to see a documentary about a celebrity from, you know, back in my day that is a documentary. So when this show, when Commotion launched, our very first episode was about this, about this trend mm. of of celebrities kind of like hijacking the prestige that comes with the documentary format to be like, oh, this will give you an intimate look. Meanwhile, it is just simply PR, right? Like the, yeah. the ideas are like, this becomes a PR vehicle and you feel like you've got a bit more access and intimacy into the star's lives. You haven't. You've, you've just been informed of the thing that they like you to sort of think about. And this yeah. extends into the concert films. Taylor yes. Swift, Beyonce. Yeah. Except for, who, I do Who like invited you to talk about Taylor Swift? Yeah, I, yeah, not, is, I did not issue that invitation. <laughs> no, but no, I was like, <laughs> it's in your eyes. Okay. Listen, the Eras tour, I feel like I saw it because I went and watched that documentary and I loved it. <laughs> that documentary, yeah? That documentary. <laughs> that one's a documentary to me. All right, so we, we got like a minute left here. As I mentioned off the top, it's a holiday break. It's the time for people to catch up on movies they might have missed. So both of you, I want you to recommend a movie that people should watch. Rad, you first. I mean, look, I'm going to recommend everyone watch a hate watch, actually, because a movie I didn't actually <laughs> like is Maestro, because it was more like, you know, Maestrobation. It's, it's oh Bradley Cooper. This is Bradley Cooper trying to inhabit Leonard Bernstein to the point where he wants to suck up all the oxygen in the room like Leonard Bernstein did. Yeah. And it's just, it's an interesting movie where it's really fussed over. I think people should watch it because there's a lot of artistry in there. But to me, it felt like Bradley Cooper shining his own ego in and being like, I can be as great an artist as Leonard Bernstein. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Star is Born. This as, is a big deal. Yeah, was, but, you know? I mean, but Star is Born was trash too. So. Yeah, I didn't like a Star is Born. Okay. But I, I did love even, Maestro. I, <laughs> yeah. okay. I did love Maestro. And yeah. he is, he is, you know, being all those things because the character he's playing was Leonard Bernstein was that. So the criticism around Bradley saying, oh, he's, you know, showing off and he's doing everything that he can possibly do on screen. That's exactly what Leonard Bernstein would do. And it is a biopic about Leonard Bernstein. This is what I love about this is that like any movie on earth to put the two of you into, you'll come up with different opinions and then this will happen. Terry, what should people watch? Uh, Ben Affleck's Air. 
Ooh, it say is, more about that. You yeah. know, I'm a Ben Affleck person. Go yeah, on. you and I love the Ben Affleck. Yes. This is a movie that, I mean, once again, because Ben Affleck is so smart and he layers what he's doing with so many things, this could have just been the straight ahead story of Michael Jordan and the Jordans, uh, Air Jordans at Nike. But it's not. It's layered with the politics of the time. It's layered with the fact of the, the beginning of the marketing of athletic people yeah. and the personal marketing, the personal brand of each of us that we all funny. do. It's funny. It's got incredible yeah. performances. You loved... Um, Chris Messina. Chris Messina in incredible. it. I love Jason Bateman. And a reminder that Matt Damon is one of the finest actors we have going out there. And you get Ben in a purple tracksuit. <laughs> and what price. more could you possibly ask for? <laughs> I mean, I would argue, but I don't have the time. <laughs> <laughs> Rats haven't played Terry Hart. This has been an hour of chaos. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Oh, never not bringing the chaos. Incredible time. <laughs> That was our look back at this year in film. Rad Simon Play is a film critic with CBC and CTV. Terry Hart is an entertainment journalist in Toronto. And that is it for the podcast today. Hey, listen, before I go, I just want to tell you about the incredible folks that get the show on the air. Commotion is produced by Stuart Berman, Ty Callender, Gene Kim, Jane Vancouverden, and Jess Lowe, Nikki Manfredi, Gloria Omateo. Our digital producers are Amelia Ekbal and Shuli Grossman Gray. Our director is Daniel Grogan. Our engineer is Sam Hashmi. The senior producer is John Perry, and Anne McKeegan is, a, is our executive producer. We're going to be off on Monday. That's Christmas Day. But you know what? We are back on Tuesday. On Boxing Day, we will see you then. On that day, we're going to take a look back at 20 years of the Broadway musical Wicked and how we changed musical theater. My name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. Have a good Christmas, and we'll see you back next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.